once we went through and we cleared all that baggage that I was holding from when I was little, mm. it all changed for me. I used to emotionally eat, right? Whenever I was stressed, whenever I was angry, whenever I was anxious, depressed, and I was addicted to food to numb my pain. And I wasn't even aware of this pain that I had. I just knew that I had to eat. I wasn't even conscious about what I was trying to numb. And people out there are numbing themselves with other things, right? Alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. But for me, it was food. Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis. I'm your host. I'm the clinical nutritionist at Being Healthy. On today's episode, I have another mix of mindset access. I've been speaking with Karim Boktor, who is an experienced trainer and coach in the personal and professional performance field. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, you'll understand how committed I am to exploring a range of different ways to access the things that might be tripping us up along the weight loss surgery journey as far as our mindset goes. And I like to present a varying array of ways of doing that being a big important part of the journey and sometimes one of the least talked about components. So Karim and I, I reached out to Karim on Facebook not that long ago when I saw his work from a mindset perspective and a business coaching perspective. And I thought, wow, this looks like great work. I'd love to talk with him about his work and how it might be applied to our audience and what it might mean for the weight loss surgery community if they had a better understanding of what Karim did. So I organized a meeting with him and we just discussed a few things over Zoom. And he had no idea that we were a weight loss surgery, I guess, multivitamin and support product company. And he just thought I was interested in doing a podcast with him from a different perspective. So as we talked, we realized that Karim had his own weight loss surgery journey. And he also found that a lot of what he did as far as his mindset work goes was a huge key in his weight loss surgery success. So it's a beautiful blend, this episode of another way of looking at ways to access those little glitches in our understanding of the world that might be sabotaging us along the way, mixed in with Karim's actual story of how that showed up for him and how his work has helped him to really turn things around into something quite special. He's a very healthy, dynamic and successful person in his field. And he attributes that to not only feeling more confident, but also the healing that's taken place as part of his work around NLP, hypnosis, and a few other ways of accessing that. So welcome to the show, Karim Boktor. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this episode because it was synergistic the way that I found you, I suppose, as far as welcoming you to the show. My initial reason for reaching out was your work that I saw on Facebook in the area of mindset and business coaching and all that sort of thing. Like, obviously, the podcast is a lot about accessing mindset and helping people to grow and find those parts of us that need to heal after weight loss surgery. 
I had no idea that you had your own personal story and we uncovered that in the first time we spoke. Yeah, it's an amazing coincidence to have someone who's really explored this side of it and can bring that personal journey as well. So I'm really keen to open it up and yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you and I'm happy to share everything. It sounds great. And so tell me a little bit about, obviously we'll open up the weight loss surgery part of the story. Tell me about the significant event that made the biggest impact to you. Another good side to the story is that I had been in medical devices. So I was in a really good corporate position where I was assisting and supporting surgeons in weight loss surgery. So I was going in and I was actually seeing them operate. And then I said to myself, I really want to do something on my own. I want to go back to the entrepreneurial side. This wasn't my first venture. And my wife was about to have a baby. She was about eight months away from having a baby. So after we knew that she was pregnant and a month later, I decided that I wanted to spend more time with my family. It was our firstborn and I said, I really want to spend more time because my corporate job was really taking that time away from me. So I started looking at businesses and I said, you know, I'm going to open up a business because that way I can have that time with my newborn and my wife and I can spend that precious time. And we bought into a business that had been run down and it was my job to build it back up again. Back and forth, we put in an offer and it came back and it didn't come back. Anyway, it ended up going for a very long time up until the point where we settled the same week that my wife was going to have our child. Oh, big week. So as a father, I had no idea what was in store for me. I thought, just thought, you know, it's a baby. Yep. My wife's just going to wake up and feed him, you know, and all that kind of thing. Like no one really told me what was going to happen and then prepare me for storm. Right. So I was in this new business, we took over and then I had to learn all these new processes and systems within this new business. This was my third business, by the way. So I thought, you know, I think I'll be okay. And by then I had consulted and helped other businesses. So I thought, you know, I'm really in a really good position. Months went on and things didn't happen as quickly as I wanted it to. And things started to really wear down on my mental health. I was a lot stressed. I was anxious and I just wasn't with it. And I had to wear all hats because we just didn't have the capacity to hire more staff and all that fun stuff when you're just starting off. And then when I got home, things were a little bit more stressful as well because we didn't know at the moment my son had colic. So what that meant for my wife was that she was waking up every 20 minutes Mm. every night and she wasn't getting any sleep. And that meant I wasn't getting sleep because, you know, I really wanted to help her and Helping through those times. So I was turning up to work already exhausted on the back foot. I was already burnt out before the date had even started. Yeah. And then I was getting bombarded with all these things that I had to attend to, you know, all these fires and things that really needed my time and my energy. And by the time you knew it, I was just so stressed out. Mm. Things weren't doing well in the business. So I was worrying about how was I going to pay rent? How was I going to pay my staff? And then all these things started to come up. Was I a failure to myself? Was I a failure as a dad? Like all these things, I wanted to really show my wife and my son that I could provide for them. And who was I if I was not a provider? Mm. And it started taking a toll on me. You know, I would go into work every day and I was constantly reminded that I was a failure. I would go home and I was constantly reminded again that I was a failure as a father because when I went home, all these thoughts came to my head that I wasn't being able to provide. I would look at my son, I would look at my wife and think, are we going to stay in this stuck position forever? 
like what mistake have I done? You know, I was in a really good position at a corporate job. I was paying well. What have I done? And I couldn't understand and I couldn't see the end path. Mm. I felt like there was no way out. And then I would go to work again and the same thing and I felt like I was in a hamster wheel. I'd work really hard at work, do all the things, and I just felt like the harder that I worked, the worse that things got. And I'd come home and I couldn't be that same father for my son. And one day my wife just took my son for a walk. I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday and it was just me at home. And I remember just sitting there and I remember just breaking down crying because it all just caught up on me. And I was faced with realities that I had to quit and I couldn't do anything else. And I'd hit rock bottom. And my wife came home and she's, you know, pretty worried because I was curled up into a ball, like just hysterically crying because I had stuffed it up. And a day later, I, you know, I just said, well, I'm just going to leave it to the universe. A day later, someone had approached me and said, hey, Karim, I know you've got, you know, some challenges in your business. I want you to talk to this life coach. And I just said, dude, I don't have the time for this. I'm not going to talk about my feelings, right? I don't need to talk about my feelings. I wanted to talk about strategy. Yeah. And he's like, dude, you need to talk to this person. This guy specializes in this type of stuff. You need to talk to them. I'm like, okay, I've got nothing else to lose because by then I had tried every strategy under the sun and nothing was working. So I approached this life coach and we sat down and he's like, Karim, and I said, tell me what's going on, what's happening for you. And I just said to them, I'm constantly feeling anxious. I'm constantly feeling like I'm in a state of flight or fright. I am constantly feeling depressed. I'm feeling that I'm not good enough. I'm feeling down on myself. I'm just feeling really, really crap. And he said, okay, cool. And then he said, Karim, tell me about growing up. I'm like, this guy's going to waste my time again. I mean, anyway, so I told him about growing up. He said, tell me about the ages of zero to seven. I said, okay, cool. He wants to know about zero to seven. And I tell him that we were in Egypt. I was born in Egypt. Dad had a very successful business in Egypt. He had built it up himself in wholesaling petrol. And he was running it for a number of years. And the extremists didn't really love or like what my dad was doing because it meant that him as a Christian, we were more successful than they were. And they didn't like it. They told us that if he didn't close down his business, that they were going to burn it down and then come after us, come after his family. Anyway, dad thought nothing of it, you know, and then a week or two goes by. I'm not sure if you've seen the episode of The Simpsons where Sideshow Bob goes around and he's telling everyone that he's going to kill Bart, right? He's got a piece of paper. I don't think there's an episode of The Simpsons I haven't seen. (laughs) (laughs) So this is in The Simpsons, right? And it's meant to be like, oh, my God, this guy's in the car just yelling out names he's going to kill. This was happening to my dad. These men were going around in the cars with a mic. And they had a list of people that they wanted to kill. My goodness. And just very casually, they were just reading out the names, and one of those names was my dad. And he thought nothing of it, and I'm just going to let time go by, and you know, things will blow over. And I remember him telling me a story where he was at home about to have dinner with us. I couldn't remember this because I was so young, but I feel it for some reason. You know, every time I tell this story, I ended up getting goosebumps and you know, a little bit shaky. Because his shop was just down the road from where he lived and he could hear sirens while having dinner. 
and people were yelling, you know, a lot of screaming and all that type of thing. And his phone rang and they said, Amir, Amir, your shop's burning down. And he's like, oh my gosh. So he looked over the balcony and you could see the flames. And all I could think about was just him running. And he was telling me, as I was running there, I was running my fastest. All I could think about was who's that fire? I wasn't with him at dinner. I was with my mum. And he didn't really know for certain that where was the wife and the kids. As he was running, he didn't really know what was happening with the staff. Did they lock up? Did someone stay behind? So as he was running, all these things started to happen. And this run probably only took about two minutes. But in his mind, it took a lifetime. As he was running, all these things started coming up. Are these people going to die? Am I going to find burnt bodies? Am I going to find my son, Karim, burnt? Am I going to find my wife burnt? And he got there and he went to the site. And there was a lot of comfort in knowing that no one was there. No one was here. But as he walked around the burn site, everything was gone. And it's not like you've got insurance and, you know, you can just call up the insurance company and they come, you know, they fix it for you. Yeah. When it's done, it's done. And he has it in his life creating this. And I remember him telling me as he was walking, the thing that killed him is that as he was walking through what is now a burnt place, he saw his office and he used to remember me on his desk, you know, pretending to be him. And now that's gone because this was a big part of and it was just done. And that really broke him because that memory's gone with it. And he had to make the hardest decision to do something about it because he knew then that they weren't kidding. He was worried that they were then going to come after us. Mm-hmm. So he packed his bags, he told, you know, and then we ended up coming to Australia. So we came to Australia and it just felt like there was just problems after problems after problems and my dad couldn't get a break because we landed here and the person that was meant to send him all his life savings didn't. Oh, my goodness. So we were in another country. My dad didn't have a job lined up. Mum and dad couldn't speak the language. They couldn't speak English and they didn't have money. They had three kids they had to feed. They had to make sure that they were clothed and housed. The situation quickly became a lot worse. Luckily, some of our family friends took us in mm. until we found a solution. We were so grateful the Australian government put us in housing commissions. Although we were grateful, I had seen things that I probably didn't need to see and I experienced things that I probably didn't need to experience. 100%. And my parents are probably thinking, what the hell did we do? Mm. What are we going to do as well? You know, I was constantly seeing, like, I think at one point I'd seen a dead body because of drug overdose when I was coming down the stairs going out to the playground. Yeah. And these are just one of the things that, that really opened my eyes to a short amount of time. Absolutely. And then came school prep. By then, I had already been in the country a number of amount of years. I was two when I landed in Australia. By five, I was an Aussie kid. <laughs> I was just as Aussie as everyone else, went to school, and I quickly learned that I wasn't welcomed by my classmates. I was the only non-Australian in the school, olive-skinned, and I didn't have friends. The hardest part wasn't that. The hardest part was also the teachers. I feel that they did me a disservice. I had a really big stutter. So when I was at school, they thought that I couldn't speak English just because I would tell them that I'm from Egypt and they just thought that I just didn't know how to speak English because I didn't speak. 
I choose not to speak because I was embarrassed and I couldn't speak because I had a really big stutter. So they took me out of the classroom and they put me into a room where they considered, you know, kids are a bit dumb. But the students thought this was labelled as the students, it wasn't coming from the teachers. They put me into uh, ESL, English as a Second Language. And I was in there and I was thinking to myself, if all the kids are calling me stupid, you know, then it must be real, you know, then it must be true. I knew and I spoke English, I wrote English well, but the teachers just went, no, nah, you're, you're in a too hard basket. Also because I had all these other behavioural problems, I probably had ADHD, probably wasn't diagnosed, I probably had dyslexia, I wasn't diagnosed, and they just said, no, nah, too hard basket, he just goes into the other room, he'll be all right. And this was the moment where I saw a lot of trauma, mm. you know, including the time in the housing commissions. I always just thought that I wasn't good enough as a child. I would go out into the playground and recess and I would have my own recess to myself and I would sit there without any of the kids wanting to play. And I was constantly just told that I was not good enough. I was stupid. All these things, right? And I would beg kids to be my friend. Like I was that low within myself that I would beg them. You know, by the end of it, I had to play with kids younger my age and one day I brought one of those kids home, I think it was a year or two younger than me, and mum was just broken that, you know, why couldn't he bring home a kid his own age? And that was a huge thing for me. And this is just four years old, four or five. That's this was the stress that I had to deal with at four or five, let alone the stress that I had to deal with as a two-year-old leaving Egypt, coming yes. here. They're very formative. I think we underestimate that, you know, when things happen to kids, they say, well, kids are resilient or they forget about it. And this is a big thing, my understanding as well, is that's the most formative time because that's the time when our brains are just wide open. They're just drinking in everything that happens. And that's when we're, you know, it's the foundation of what happens later. And I think in my experience, having had a reason to understand that from a child's perspective, it's important for me to really remember that kids are not stupid and kids are watching more than adults are watching and they're absorbing and they're making sense of the world through a child's eyes and they're making really firm decisions with the information that they're given and they're making really long-term decisions that they don't even understand. And that's who turns up later to run the show of our adult life is that child that was formed in those very early stages. So, yeah, what's your life coach that you weren't that excited to meet with? I've been in that position. What's that all about? (laughs) Yeah, and totally right. At those ages, this is where we make sense of the world. And this is what my life coach said. He said, Karim, ages zero to seven, this is a really big age because this is where you make sense of the world Mm. and you decide on how things are. Yeah, absolutely. Is it safe? Am I safe? Then that becomes what comfortable. But even if it's uncomfortable, it's our comfortable. And then we look at it in our 30s, like when you're saying, I'm starting a business, I'm starting family, I've got all these responsibilities. And you look at who's making the decisions in the now. It's fascinating, like how we're designed this way. Is it a flaw? (laughs) I wonder sometimes. It's quite incredible when you look at it from a neurological perspective and the way the brain works and our nervous system and how we program things in and how whatever is sent to us in those early stages is kind of our patterning. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. He said to me, Karim, this isn't a new problem. All those things about you said you're not being good enough. 
a good enough father, good enough business owner, good enough all these things. Anxiety, depression, this isn't a new problem. And he said that it was all born, created from those early years from when you were born. All the pieces just started coming together. Yeah, it's quite a moment. Yeah, so that was huge for me. And then I looked around, I'm like, wow, what did you just say? <laughs> you know, because I remember as a child thinking all these things and they're yeah. all the same emotions and they were coming up. Even for me as an adult, I made sense that because I wasn't doing well in business, that I was not good enough. It's almost you know? we look for evidence, don't we? And we don't realise either we're looking at patterns and we look for comfort and we look for the same, which we don't realise we're doing. And I kind of got to my mid-20s on autopilot and I had no idea that what had gone on in my childhood was making me an adapted form of myself. So I made all these different, I became me and then the wheels fell off, the same thing. Wake up one day and go for this isn't what I really signed up for and I don't know what, I don't know why, same thing. And then it's like this process of being shown that this person that you are or you think you are is just who you put together as a result of your experiences and you have constructs so that you can also change that. And I think that's what we're not told is a lot of people are like, well, that's just me and I do that. Or I see it a lot in our group. It's like, that's just me. I'm a picky eater or that's me. I don't like such and such or I'm not into vegetables. And I'm like, well, is it just you or is there something that's serving you as that decision? So we look at, you keep making this decision is it helping you in the long term? No, it's affecting your health. You're not eating vegetables. This is an example, drawing a long bow. But it's like we keep making these choices because we identify with it and that's who we are, right? But if we unpick that a little bit and open it a little bit more, what purpose is that decision serving? We get health outcomes that are not helpful and then we need support or then we can't do things. So then we don't have to risk something. So it's looking at this tiny little thing that we say is, oh, I'm a picky eater and I don't eat vegetables, but open that up and you've got everything in the backstory is making that decision for you. And it's screwing up lives sometimes is this, I don't eat veggies. This is a long bow I'm drawing as far as the point, but it's like we identify with these parts of us and we just leave them there because that's who we are. Mm. And that's I guess that's point. where you've come in is, you got to that point where it's like, this is not working. I'll see what's underneath it. And then you get shown. What did you do with that after that point? Okay. So at that point, when he had highlighted and I was speaking to the life coach, this was a year or two after my revision surgery. So I already had the gastric sleeve by then. Yeah. And I was putting on weight from all the stress, from all the anxiety, all the depression. And once we went through and we cleared all that baggage that I was holding from when I was little. Mm. It all changed for me. I used to emotionally eat, right? Whenever I was stressed, whenever I was angry, whenever I was anxious, depressed, and I was addicted to food to numb my pain. And I wasn't even aware of this pain that I had. I just knew that I had to eat. I wasn't even conscious about what I was trying to numb. And people out there are numbing themselves with other things, right? Alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. But for me, it was food. And once this life coach understood my triggers and then I addressed those triggers, I had to eat everything off my plate. I couldn't leave it. I had to finish it. 
part of that was because mum told me, Karim, make sure you finish everything off on the plate because back then there wasn't an abundance of food Absolutely. when I was growing up. I and that all came into my programming. That. Yeah. Don't leave anything. Don't waste anything. And we were a family of five too. And the same thing, you don't leave the table until you've eaten your dinner. It's like, I'm not hungry, but here I am. We're ignoring our internal message of I'm not hungry. And we're being told by someone else to eat the food. And it comes from times of, I guess, difficulty in the past. And our parents, we don't, like listening to your story, in Australia, we just don't know stress. Like we talk about, oh, my God, I'm so stressed and everything's so busy and stressful. But we don't have that kind of are you going to make it through the day kind of stress. I mean, not some people do, but there's food scarcity and I understand that there are their own considerations in that regard. But we don't have is some random group coming to kill me today. We don't have a bomb dropping on us. And I think listening to that kind of understanding of the survival instincts that will be triggered by those kind of situations, we need to look back and put into perspective what we classify as stressful now, I think. There's a lot of psychological terms that get bandied around, like, oh, I'm OCD or I'm my OCD is kicking in and I can't stand, you know, my placemat crooked or whatever. It's not OCD. We need to be more careful about what we say is stressful. And even to our children, I'm good at that. I keep talking about it's pretty stressful, but it's I need to preface it with, you know, is it really? So we can get lost in our dialogue, in our own way of communicating and our using words that are probably blowing things up a little bit. Yeah, because it becomes part of our mindset. The things that I talk about is, and people aren't aware, it's sort of like blind spot, is the unconscious mind. So I talk about your conscious mind and your unconscious mind. And all behaviors and all these programming live at the unconscious level. And I wasn't aware of this. I wasn't aware of all the programming that I had made myself. No, it's amazing. I always say that we get through school and we learn math, English, whatever. We don't even learn how our brains work or our bodies work. And unless you want to, like even from a nutrition perspective, unless you really want to know, you don't get an awful lot of input. And I think every person who goes through the school system has a brain, has a nervous system and has a body. And we don't necessarily explore that unless you choose to learn. Mm. Wouldn't it be great if we all went through school saying, here's a way of kind of letting the heat out of the pressure cooker. And I see that you know, our system is getting better at that kind of emotional intelligence and regulation and that sort of thing. At our age, my age, we definitely were not taught these kind of constructs and we weren't taught to have a look at the things that we don't know. Yeah. And I think it's key. It's huge because it's definitely. Like, I think back at school and you know, I remember learning about Pythagoras theorem. I remember thinking that how is this useful to me today? If I had learned about mindset and the nervous system and all these kinds of things, I could use that tool. Where would I be? And this is why I'm so passionate about what I do because when we started to uncover and unpack all those triggers that I wasn't even aware of, this was when the weight started coming back off. Right. Feeling a bit light. This was the, the light bulb. Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm actually addressing now the root cause of my triggers. And it didn't even take long. It took like eight hours. Wow. And in the past, I remember, you know, seeing counsellors and psychologists and all those types of things, and it was great, but I think they just do superficial top surface stuff where I really needed someone to get in there and get really deep and understand what was happening inside of me. So then I said to myself, well, if this is what's happening with my food, imagine what else is uncovered. And ever since then, my business started working better, right? I was earning more money in the business, more revenue, because I was more, like, more clearer 
And I could see things in different perspectives, not from the eyes of a traumatized five-year-old. So things just started changing quickly for me in my business and in my life. I was so much happier. I was a lot lighter because I'd healed those internal wounds that I didn't even know that I had. Yeah. And yeah, and it brings me here today. So during that time, I had been studying my MBA, but I'd be put it off because I was never a good student, right? And now I understand why, because I had all this really racy mind, mm. right? After when I did work with that life coach, my mind just was just quiet. You know, it wasn't racy. It wasn't very, you know, people may think of it like ADD. Yeah. But my mind was just quiet. And for the first time, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I can hear the birds sing. Room to move. Yeah. Yeah. I could be so laser focused. Like my concentration wasn't like a light bulb. It was more like a laser. Wow. And I said, hey, I need to learn this. So I sold my cafe, sold my business, made some good money out of it after. And I just spent some time in just learning it. So people are probably thinking, what did you learn? So I'm now a master practitioner and trainer in NLP, which stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. So everyone might know Tony Robbins. This is what Tony Robbins is known for, NLP, right? This is what he studied. But I wanted more. I just want more because I want to go and serve people with the best. So I went on and studied and did hypnotherapy. Yes. So I'm a master practitioner and trainer in that and timeline therapy. And then I wanted more. (laughs) (laughs) So then I also did a method facilitator of the Dr. Diamartini method. Oh, yeah. So the good thing about this is that I went off and I was helping people change. Yeah, but I had all and these having things, that right? understanding of the business perspective from that logical, like you say, strategic perspective is brilliant. But to combine it with the mindset and that kind of who's running the show, you know, work on that as well as how effective are you in your business? What a beautiful combination. You must see some incredible results. Definitely. And I like to use the analogy of if the engine was the marketing and the strategy, right, and you're driving the bus. Mm. and you're the bus driver. And a windscreen in front of you is all those limiting beliefs, all that anxiety, all that depression, all those emotions and all that racing mind, you're quickly going to crash no matter how good your engine is. So we need to clear that windscreen first, get your mindset right for you to be able to coordinate and drive the business. Correct. I was constantly crashing the business because I couldn't see through that windshield. That's a great analogy. And I look at, these sorts of things. We talk about being more effective in our business. Do you agree that your business is a reflection of you? Like I'm a big believer in whatever you do reflects you. So whether your family is working beautifully or not, or whether your business is working beautifully or not, or your health is working well, like there's something in the way of that. It's the foggy windscreen. Yeah. Yeah, your business is an extension of you. Mm. So until Mm. you are clear. You're bringing that into every area. Exactly. Yeah. And what I found is that it didn't just help me in my family life, in my business life. It helped me in my family as well. Like I was able to be a better father, you know, a better husband, because it doesn't just spill in one area of life. It spills over multiple areas. Yeah. And I think we easily do that where we compartmentalize things. It's like, and we do that as well in times of stress. It's like we go where things are working. If family's not working, we go to work if that's working for us. So you'll see people put their focus where there's the greatest success or 
the most comfort or, you know, highest level of mastery, I suppose, something that gives back. But then I think if you look at everything as a reflection of you, it's like that one part probably isn't working as well as it could. It's working well because you're throwing yourself into it, but you're avoiding all these other bits that are not working. So if you can kind of bring them all together with that clear windscreen, it sprays right across. It, it penetrates every area of life. And I would be gone, this is over there and that's over there and this bit's over here, but it's all us. And I think it's like bringing that back to, is it all working? And I don't think everything works all at once all the time. You know, things are state of flux, but it's like if it's totally broken all the time, there's something going on. <laughs> Definitely. And I think for me, I was quite humbled by looking inside of me. And I remember just before my sessions with my coach thinking it was just all like it was dark. And then after the sessions or during the sessions, when he mm-hmm. said to me, Karim, did you know this is all linked? This is when, for me, the light turned on. I could see everything. I could see the mess in the aisles. And very quickly, we were able to clean the aisles I think you know, because good. everything is connected. Nice and quickly. Do you feel too, some people recognise there's a mess in the aisles and they're just like, it's too hard? If that's something that comes up for everybody, it's like that's not working how do I stand in that part that's not working? And like you've done, who do I reach out to? What do I do? That kind of stuff. For you, I can understand you had one gastric sleeve surgery, lots of stuff going on in life, then were in a position where you were considering a second surgery. This is going on a lot and it's not always that it goes that way. But at that point for you, what was it that made you helped you to reach out and look for something different so interesting my gastric sleeve was my second weight loss surgery yeah so my first weight loss surgery before that i remember being in a club i think i was maybe 25 and i was big i was probably about 130 kilos i remember being in a club and i remember you know just sitting standing there and having a drink and i could hear a group of guys on my right talking I remember just standing there and they said, oh, you know, he was big like that guy. And they pointed at me. And then I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm that guy. You know, that everyone looks at and points and says, I'm the mascot. Yeah. Or a fat guy. Right? I was him. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I need to do something. And by then I had tried every diet under the sun. You know, I would lose five kilos, gain 10. And I just had enough. And... I remember people talking about the lap band surgery. So it was minimally invasive. I looked into it. But the problem is I didn't have 20K. Yeah. This was the price for it in Melbourne at the time. Yeah. And I didn't have private health insurance. And I didn't want my parents to know about it too. I was so shameful. I didn't want anyone else to know about it. I didn't want my parents to know about it. I, you know, I didn't want to be convinced not to have it. So I, someone told me that in Tasmania, the surgery was a lot cheaper. So I did a lot of research, you know, to cut the story short. I told my parents that I was going away for work and I ended up going to, to Tasmania for the surgery on my own. So that meant, you know, going to surgery, waking up alone and coming back to Melbourne. And then for whatever reason, the hospital would send all the x-rays, you know, to make sure that I'm fine. And then I opened one up and my dad came home at the same time and he said, what the hell? Did you surgery? Like imagine like your kid yeah. sort of saying, oh, yeah, by the way, I had surgery. 
in another state. And you didn't know that. My parents were just gutted. We spoke about that and, you know, I just told them that I was very shameful. I didn't want them to know that. I didn't want them to convince me not to have it or them to convince me to try another diet or I could do it on my own because I just couldn't. They couldn't understand me. They didn't understand my mental health or understand what was happening in here. I tried all these things and I was just sick of being the fat kid. You know, I was the fat kid for most of my life growing up. I was the kid that didn't have girlfriends. I was the kid that didn't have friends. I was the kid that, you know, went to the change rooms and didn't like what he saw. Mm. I hated my body. You know, I just wanted to be like everyone else and I just wanted it done. And this was the moment where I just, I said, okay, I'm just going to do it. Whether I wake up from the surgery or not, I don't care because this is it. This is it. Yeah. And then the weight loss came after that. It's fascinating to think. And that's the way it is for so many people. It's this, you're not trying hard enough. You're not exercising enough. You just need to eat less, move more. And the evidence is there. It says that people who are struggling with weight loss are waiting up to eight years. They realize they have an issue that they're not able to control their weight. They lose a bit, gain more, lose a bit, gain more. But the stigma around weight and body image and all of that sort of stuff is so strong that these people are waiting eight years before they reach out. So by that stage, what sort of position are you in, not only from a weight perspective, but you've got the health issues that have been hanging around for eight years now. So things are very well established. And in our area of bariatric surgery, we're really trying to break through that stigma of it's not your fault, it's biochemistry, it's a lot of genetics, it's a range of different things. And it can be linked to what's happened to us when we're children also. So there's like, I always say there's a hundred different things that lead us to this situation where we're looking at weight loss surgery. The surgery is one or two of those things and the rest is up to us to look at as part of our now also why we call it the weight loss surgery journey because it's a ride. It's a great tool. It's effective and it's probably the biggest breakthrough in weight loss that we've really seen and it's safe but it's also a big responsibility and that's kind of where we're coming with this big picture, a bit more holistic approach to, okay, we're here, we'll do this, this bit's your responsibility, here's your new way of living a healthy lifestyle. But all of these little sabotage bits and pieces that are hanging over from our childhood a lot of the time are what's stepping up and getting in the way, fogging up our windscreen. How was that for you, I suppose, when you realised the first surgery has not necessarily got you to where you wanted to be? Did it take you a long time to think, well, I've just got to go and ask someone for what's next? Like, how is that for you? During that stage, I think a year or two later, I was at my skinniest. I think I was at my skinniest about a year or two after that. Just because I'm not sure people, you know, people that the band know what I'm talking about is because I wasn't eating because I was vomiting most of the time, right? I was yeah, bringing up most of the food. I wasn't very nourished. That's when I met my wife, my now wife. So I started dating because I was a lot skinnier. Yeah. I was a lot more confident. But the problem was, is that a year or two after dating her, I started putting on weight the weight again. If you guys remember the movie The Nutty Professor, <laughs> where he's taking the potion and he's out, <laughs> and then the potion starts wearing off, and his fingers start getting fat, right? And then his, part of his neck starts getting fat. That was like me. I was dating this girl that I really liked, and then I started getting fat. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And I just quickly married her. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that. I the deal when I said, hey, let's just get married, you know, or, or that kind of Quick, stuff. before my neck pops out any further, no. Yeah, quick before you change your mind, right? <laughs> so it wasn't until the second time around where I said, after that moment, it was when I knew that my son was going to be born, I said to myself, I need to make another change. Mm. And I need to make this the right one because I don't want my son growing up knowing that I wasn't there for him because I was so tired all the time. And so by that stage, or before I had the surgery, I was big again. And I didn't want him growing up with a father without energy. I wanted to run around with him. I wanted to be there for him. I wanted to be the best example for him. So I looked into my future and I said, what future do I want? And the future that I wanted, my desired reality was I wanted to be fit. I wanted to be healthy. And I had a look at my reality today and I said, what can I do to really make sure that I get that done? And I said, okay, I know there's a really good new surgery out there, which was the gastric sleeve. I knew really good surgeons. I knew other people that had had it done. And I'm not going to wait any longer. Like, what's the point of me waiting another day or month or week? Like, I'm still young. I can still live those times happy. I just said, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to rely on another diet. I'm not going to rely on another trying to do it myself because obviously it hasn't worked. I just got to own this and say, listen, I've just, it hasn't worked. I'm going to take, you know, try something new, try something different that has worked for many others. And this is when I decided that I was just going to do it. Yeah, good point. And onward and upward, it seems. Have a look at you. You're totally, you're the healthiest looking mindset coach I've seen in a long time. (laughs) And not only that, taking your work, taking your passion out there now because you've got lived experience is huge. But, yeah, I think it's quite an incredible transition. I imagine you look back at photos and that sort of stuff and we all go, oh, that was the stage where I was doing this and that was the stage. And I remember I was 25 and was not that certain of myself and I can see that. You know what I mean? Like it must be quite incredible. And I, I hear these stories a lot from people in our groups. It's like you do, you get to the end of the road. My body's not responding in the way that most bodies do and there's lots of reasons for that. And you stand in that decision. Are there moments for you where you feel, does your eating ever change or are you more centred and things are just, you know, a lot easier for you? Are there still times where it is difficult to stay on track? It's a lot easier now because I've dealt with all the internal stuff, yeah. all those triggers. It doesn't make me perfect, right? But what it makes me do is be conscious about what's happening. So if I'm stressed and I'm eating, or if I'm, you know, eating because I feel like I might need to fish everything on the plate. There may be times where I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is that thought again. Now I'm understanding of it. I'm just going to put it away because I'm full. I don't need to eat it. But that took me understanding and doing all that stuff in my mindset before I could actually get there. Yeah, to have the stop. Yeah, on how to, like, be aware of those background programming, all those talk, self-talk stuff that I'm, that I'm talking about it. But yeah, it's changed my life. You know, I talk about it with other people that are thinking about it or on the fence. And I ask them, you know, what's what's stopping you? And they say, oh, you know, I might just give it one more chance. You know, I might just try and lose it on my own, you know, because they're scared of surgery. It's, you know, they think that it's, yeah, I was scared as well. And that's the thing is if they get to the end of the road and it's like, you know, we hear people saying, oh, I'm, I'm having my surgery on Monday. I'm so excited. And I'm like, wow, that's a massive place to come to that. You're in line for major surgery and you're excited. Like that's what this does to people's life. 
the impacts of obesity, it's a chronic disease. Yes. Having that show up and the impacts, and I think it's up to the general population's education, and that's where we're really trying to get it across, is that it's not the easy way out. It's not easy and it's not cheating and it's, you know what I mean? Again, the stigma is we just don't know. And if we haven't needed to know, of course we don't know. Yeah. But it's it's about educating and understanding. And I think we've come to the point where we classify obesity as a disease or an illness. And I think we also need to understand that it's either in remission or it's rearing its head. And there's different things that will set it off in a lot of ways. And a lot of it is stress-related, sleep-related and environment. So triggers in a lot of things. I think we need to understand that it's not our fault is the biggest one and that there's something that we can do and it's a picture of what we can do and the mindset part of it. With your work, I wanted to talk about your work. I think you bring some incredible power and, you know, having your own journey going through what you've done and having your own story, which is probably by far and away more different than most Australians to begin with. I just can't imagine what's possible for some people. Like what do you have one standout person who's come to you like you were quite, what's the word, sceptical? Oh, life coach, what would they do? I don't even know. The last thing you want to do is when you don't have money and things aren't successful is throw money at something you're not sure about. So firstly, how do we get ourselves over that hurdle? But secondly, like, do you have a standout of someone who came in and goes, oh, this will be interesting. Show me what you've got. Yeah, so I've got a couple that are really interesting. So the first one, you know, the most sceptical was this former policeman. Sometimes they're the best. Of course, yeah. This former policeman come to me and he said, you know, Karim, I've been recommended. I'm not a business owner, but I hear that you do really fantastic work on mindset and trauma. And he said, look, I'm straight as an arrow. I can can smell BS, you know. So, (laughs) yeah. So tell me straight, you know, if this is like fish oil, if this is, sorry, like snake oil, tell me now and it's all good, but just don't, don't sell me false promises. The reason why he'd come to me is because he had PTSD. He'd been in the force for such a long time and he had seen the best. He had seen the best psychologists, psychiatrists. He had done numerous amount of things, right? He even went to the hospital. He put some electrodes on his head as well because it was that severe. He had night sweats, vomiting, nightmares. You know, he had been self-medicating with alcohol. He had anger issues. The list went on. And he said, but also, you know, when I was asking him questions, his birthday was in two weeks. And historically, he hadn't been able to celebrate his birthday because he couldn't be around people, couldn't, you know, be around loud noises. He would just isolate himself for most of his time. And I said, Cleve, I'm going to give you that birthday in two weeks. And he looked at me and he's like, whatever. And I just had met with him. I actually just finished up with him last week. And I actually, I'm going to make a a mini documentary about this, about his journey, because I really want people to see what this was all about. He told me that I have changed his life completely. So people are probably asking, well, did he have his birthday? Not only did he have his birthday, he celebrated over a week and a half. Making up for all those missed birthdays. Making up for it. He goes, dude, I've got this new zip for life. Oh, that's brilliant. All my triggers are gone or pretty much gone. I've got a lot like a love and energy for life again. And he had completely been so sceptical. It's think my problem is too big for you. Yeah. 
you can't help me. And don't tell me that you can help me within under 10 hours because this is a whole lot of hogwash. He had told me that I was his sort of last sort of straw. And if I couldn't help him, then he was sort of going to decide, you know, whether to call it quits. Incredible. Incredible. Also, another really good, fantastic story was I'd done a, with a lady who had a lot of trauma as well. Her, her stepfather, growing up at 14 years old, had thrown her off the balcony as her mother watched and she didn't really care about it and she had broken neck. Oh, my goodness. The people across the road had to call the ambulance and she ran away from home. She, she was homeless at 14, from 14, had grown up with a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse and violence. Mm. And just up until recently as well, also able, able to help her. I was going to say, like, I think sometimes we think things should be difficult, like hard, because it's hard things that we're getting rid of, like that we're working on. So for someone to say it's quite quick and relatively simple, is that where you think the scepticism comes in? Because our story, our story works for us, doesn't it? We look at what purpose does this really serve when we say, oh, I can't do that, I can't this or I can't that. Why? Like what we need to work out what that what the gain is from keeping this belief. Is that something that you really work with? Is like the what win are we still getting that this problem that we have, it must be serving a purpose because it's still here. So then we cut through that and we find freedom on the other side of that in a lot of ways. But we don't realise that that's what we're doing. I'll tell you an interesting story. Half my battle is is trying to convince people that they don't need this problem anymore. So I had this lady show me her police report. I didn't want it, but she was telling me about how bad her trauma was, you know, and she would send me pages and pages of her trauma and she would mm-hmm. say, oh, you know, do you want my police report? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't need your police report. She's telling me how bad, how hard her life is. And then when we got to the next stage of the process, I said, well, did you want to organise, would you be open in letting it go, nothing. Who would I be? Ghosted. Oh, really? Yeah, ghosted. Another lady said to me, Karim, who will I be without my anger or my trauma? It gives me energy. It gives me life purpose. We could find another purpose. <laughs> but it's that fact that it's now cemented into their identity. It's become their friend. Yeah. And it's kind of scary to think of ourselves without these constructs sometimes because we don't know what to put in there. When really something will fall into that, we need to put a positive in there if we're going to take out a negative. We just work out what we do want and talk. And NLP is like, tell me what you do want. If you want a child to stay on the footpath and not run on the road, what do you say? But we always say, don't go on the road. And so the first thing they go, these bloody children, they don't listen to us. The first thing I tell them is not go on the road and they're out on the road. And because all they can see when we say that is the road. So tell me what you do want and, you know, honey, stay on the path. It's safer there. It's where people belong. Cars go on the road. Like it's so simple when you break it down into that. If someone's giving me instruction and they're telling me don't, I'm like, it's not an instruction because I don't know what you do want. So can you please tell me what you do want so that I can do that, not do what you don't want because all I'm hearing is that. So as humans with problems, sometimes we can't see past who we would be 
And sometimes there's coaching that's needed on what to do with this success of, gosh, this is working. What am I going to do with this? And so sometimes extra little sabotages will come up and go, oh, they'll test you when you do start winning. And I see that all the time. It's like we can get a bit comfy and they'll come back and go, are you really ready for this? And then we have to work out what we're going to do with that. And it's the same thing if you've done every single diet, every single thing, and you've yo-yoed and you've weight gained. We look at bariatric surgery and we'll go, well, why? And some people are like, oh, my God, this one's not going to work for me. So what do you think they're going to get? That's exactly right. So fear is driving that, and it's totally understandable. But it's like we look at what are you saying, what is your underlying message that you're actually saying when you're speaking these words, and what is your brain hearing, and then what does it do with that? We just operate like that. That's basically, you know, crack the code of that, and it's amazing. Yeah. And it's very common when people have gone over that leap of that fear, that after that surgery, they think, why didn't I do this earlier? Why didn't I do this sooner? A lot of people are encouraging others, don't wait. It's a big thing to step up to, but don't wait. You know, reach out and get help and get an understanding of what else is needed. Get educated, but don't wait. It's a huge one. Tell me a little bit about how we would access your work. I know your absolutely generous offer for us and our listeners is a half an hour free coaching session with yourself. We will give access to your information in the show notes. Say I'm so excited about what you're doing. I want to contact you. What would be the first thing I do? So just contact me, go through the link. I think there are a couple of questions on there, the link that you're going to provide. And I'm more than happy, actually, I'm dying to hear your story and, you know, what your story is. And if I can, you know, help you in those 30 minutes, I'm more than happy to. So you only know what you know, you know, and I wish that someone had come to me and said, you know, have a chat with me for 30 minutes. Maybe I can add some value and it can change the course of your life. You know, what's happening at the other end of that half an hour for you? Pretty amazing. Please get in contact with me. And your website address? Uh, Businesslifecoach.com.au. So it's not only business life coach, right? (laughs) Started out as business life coach. It's amazing. So definitely if you're listening and Grim's story has resonated and his work is obviously, you know, showing up for people in the most extraordinary ways, please reach out to Karim Bokta and certainly explore. I mean, coming from someone who's been there and done it himself as far as weight loss surgery goes, you know, there's such a great fit. It's amazing. And quite coincidental how it all came up. Karim, yeah. and, and jokingly when Karim told me he'd had weight loss surgery in our first meeting, I said, oh, well, you must be taking your multivitamins then. Like it was a bit of a joke. And he goes, oh, yeah, I take those BN ones. And I go, yeah, where BN? So we were slowly putting together the story of what my yeah. podcast was about and why I was contacting him. And not, I had no understanding that, you know, we were going to open up a story like this one. It's fantastic. So um, I had it's no great idea. To see. No. Yeah. And, and we love seeing the success stories. It's just incredible. Like it's such an amazing tool. It's a lot more accessible now. They've changed the guidelines for weight loss surgery. And a lot of people aren't aware of that is they turn up and they finally reach out and, you know, the doctor will look for their BMI to qualify and the other things. But they've actually downgraded the requirements for access to bariatric surgery so that more people can get help. And now that there's such robust evidence that it is definitely 
changing lives and giving sustainable weight loss and helping with the metabolic picture and all the health issues that go with it. There's huge, and they hadn't reviewed those guidelines for 30 years. So last year, the ASMBS, the American Society for Metabolic Surgery, and also if so, who are like the global, I guess, body for obesity surgery, all got together and they put in a review of the guidelines to make the surgery more accessible and help more people. So it's certainly something that changes the game. It's amazing. So thanks once again, Karim Boktor, for your time and your story and for putting my discussion of stress into a certainly a different perspective. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And it's always a pleasure serving you and yeah, helping people along their journey. Absolutely. I'd love to see if we can do a live show in the group soon. So I'll definitely reach out and, and connect with you on that. Thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.